Hi, I'm Neha Bagaria, the founder and CEO of Herky, formerly Jobs for Her. happens when a highly driven, intelligent and ambitious woman is forced to leave the workforce to look after her family. She becomes an entrepreneur and a force for good. Neha Bagaria is a Wharton alumnus who started her first entrepreneurial venture soon after graduating. The experience of sitting at home after becoming a mother changed her mission in life and she decided to solve the problem of India's low female workforce participation rates. In this conversation, she shares how she started Herky as a platform to help women get back to the workforce and bootstrapped it to scale, and how they now intend to truly disrupt the space after their recent $4 million fundraise. Stay tuned and subscribe to the Founder Thesis podcast on any audio streaming app to learn how disruptive founders are changing the world one problem at a time. Congratulations on the 4 million fundraise. Uh, you're coming fresh out of a fundraise. Uh, let me start with this question. What's your elevator pitch for Herky, formerly Jobs for Her, to a VC investor? Huh. Uh, well, it's actually about building India's largest career engagement platform for women so that we make sure that women stay engaged with their careers and they unlock their true economic potential. So, uh, th- now... If I were a VC, I would want to know that you know, the, the question which every VC has is show me the money. Uh, how do you monetize? And the monetization possibilities when you're unlocking the economic potential of women are yeah. tremendous, right? Yeah. We, in fact, we are already a profitable, scalable business model uh, where our predominant revenue comes from corporates who are looking at recruiting women yeah. talent and increasing yeah. the number of women in the workplace. Uh, but now with the move to Herky, we're also looking at how do we work with corporates, not just for their recruitment strategies, but as well for their retention and advancement strategies for their women talent. Um, also, as we go forward, there will there are huge monetization possibilities when it comes to learning opportunities for women during their career stages. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so uh, I want to zoom in uh, on some of these. Uh, so I understand the recruitment uh, as a revenue source, fairly straightforward, uh, well-proven model. Uh, though uh, I would wonder uh, that how much value are you able to capture here? Because a, a typical job portal doesn't capture much value, you know, which are like discovery platforms, uh, you know. Uh, I mean, let's say if, it starts from, let's say, a discovery platform like a job portal on the one hand. And then on the other hand, like a recruitment firm like, say, Michael Page, ABC. So Michael Page, ABC would get anywhere from 10 to 15% of the salary uh, as the value they capture. Whereas for a job portal, it might be 0.1% uh, or 1%, something in that range. So how much value are you able to capture? Absolutely. So we are definitely closer to a recruitment platform versus a recruitment agency. In fact, recruitment agencies like ABC use our platform to be able to reach out to the candidate. Um, And the idea is, again, if you think about the model, it will be similar to a LinkedIn sort of a model where you create the platform and you make sure that the value you carry, the value you bring is from the volume of business that will happen on it by creating a platform. So yes, absolutely, per transaction, 
In fact, we want to make it as cost-effective and efficient for our companies to hire huge volumes of women from the platform. Uh, but uh, the monetization actually comes from ensuring the scale happens in the volume. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. And uh, are there functional areas that uh, are like more prevalent, for example, like tech hiring or sales hiring or customer support or operations or, you know, like what, yeah, you what named, would be like? You know, we, I mean, we see a general trend towards our top industries and top functional areas where companies are hiring uh, want to hire women in huge numbers, you know, and that would, of course, include industries like tech, education, BPO call centers, manufacturing, pharma, retail, um, you know. But uh, but then again, we also see industries like electronics and semiconductors, etc., where there are less women currently, or mm. the automotive industry, where because there are less women, companies are putting in more effort to hire more women. Okay, 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 got it, and. How do you uh, acquire the supply of talent here? Like, you know, for a company to pay you to post a job would only make sense if there is a good supply of talent which is applying for the job. So w- what's the way in which you are acquiring supply? Absolutely. I mean, we have a database of three and a half million women on the platform already. And this was in a bootstrapped manner um, over a period of time. And that was one of the big things that we were able to crack, right? Because this is a database of three and a half million women who are interested in their careers in mm-hmm. India. Mm-hmm. Um, and for that, we actually run a lot of different kind of marketing strategies. Uh, you know, we employ, for example, social media extremely effectively in which it's not just about here, here's a job, apply for it. You know, it's a lot about also converting passive job seekers into active job seekers. You know, women who are not sure they can and should work uh, to get them over the fence to have the desire to work. Plus, uh, we work a lot with a lot of different partners in the women's space uh, in order to get them to reach out to their women databases and, you know, start inspiring them for their careers. And thirdly, we have a very strong ambassador program where we actually have women on the ground working with their local communities to get them over their roadblocks and obstacles. Okay. Uh, Which of these is getting launched first between communities and learning? So we have a version of opportunities, learning and communities, all three on the current platform even today. Okay. Okay. Uh, But uh, we are doing a much deeper dive into communities uh, in the new version of the product. And what does that look like? What are you building for communities? Well, when it comes to communities, we actually want to give women a safe space for them to be able to share from their career point of view. Yeah, so it's not just about actually showcasing, which will, of course, be a small part of it where, you know, you put yourself out there and you gain followers like the way you do on social media platforms. But the community on Herky is is going to be more of a supportive uh, community where if you have any challenges that you're facing in your career, you will find your tribe of women over here. You know, you will be able to reach out to women who are going through similar challenges or who have gone through it and help you through it. So the community will actually consist of three people, three types of people. There will be employers who are there to give you the jobs that you need. There will be experts who will be there to give you the learning that you need. But the most important is each other who will be able to give you the support that you need. So um, would this be the way, I'm just trying to visualize what it would look like. Would it look like the way LinkedIn does where I post something and people comment or like or whatever. So 
if I am stuck somewhere, uh, I post about it and other women will comment and so on. Is this what it would look like? So there are lots of different options right now that we're considering and we're on the drawing board. So okay. um, you'll be able to see more by the end of the year. Mm, okay. I'm just wondering, uh, you want employers also to be on the platform. Wouldn't you need to let men in? A lot of the yeah. employers would be men. So Of course. No, of course. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. And men are not the enemy. That's we've, okay. never, <laughs> we've never, ever been the enemy. In fact, one of the core right. values of Jobs for Her has always been that be pro-women, but not anti-men. Okay. Um, and the reason is because, I mean, this is not an anti-men crusade at all. Frankly, if we get more women into the workplace, the people who will benefit the most will be the men. You know, as employers, as husbands, as fathers, as brothers, uh, and as allies. So on the platform, we see men being playing a very important part. Uh, you know, they will come in, like we said, they will come in as employers. They will come in as experts. And when it comes to each other, they will come in as allies um, and mentors. And we will, of course, figure out how to tread this fine balance in terms of what of course, men can do on the platform and what they can't because at the end of the day, the platform is for career advancement of women. So the men will be at the platform in terms of aiding that journey of advancing women's careers. Got it. So the the account of a man will have a slightly different user interface and different uh, actions, permissions and actions. Right. Got it. Okay. Okay. Interesting. Okay. Um, so essentially, what you're trying to do is like a LinkedIn for women, uh, in a way. Uh, uh. Sure, in many ways, yes. And in many ways, no, right? I mean, uh, so in many ways, absolutely, we need to figure out how can we use the strengths of LinkedIn uh, to uh, uh, leverage it for women. Yeah, because today, if you look at, you know, usual statistics are about 20% of users on LinkedIn are women. Now, imagine a platform like that, you know, where 100% of, of the users are women. What can that do for the women community? And in that same breath then, how is it not LinkedIn for women as well? Yeah, because uh, LinkedIn was not built for the kind of challenges uh, that and problems that women go through in their journeys, especially the fact that LinkedIn was built for our currently working professional. Um, and which is why you see such low participation rates from women because women have such low participation rates in the workplace. So the Herky platform will be built not just for women who are currently working, but for women who are who aspire to work. For the for that bulk of women talent, which is eighty five percent of the of your, you know, women graduates in India, which is outside the workplace. How do we also cater to them? And then, okay, interesting. Uh, as a like you know, in terms of as a product manager, uh, I'm guessing the product itself would be very similar to a LinkedIn kind of a product, just that the content uh, would be different. Content and the context as well, which means that there are different layers uh, of sensitivity, of sensibilities that you need to build in, which will be very different. Yeah. Um, I mean, those are the nuanced approaches, right? Like, for example, a LinkedIn versus a Facebook. Yeah, the, the premise is the same. They're both social network platforms. But the context is completely different. And because the context is different, there are lots of different features that you need to build out for it. Okay, interesting. Um, you know, the uh, is there like a... Is it proven that something like this can succeed? Uh, a woman-centric uh, 
social network or career network is there some global example uh, of this uh... yeah no luckily we have some good firms playing out in the us uh, yeah and the us is you know uh, maybe a couple of decades ahead of us when it comes to uh, the dni journey and when it comes to increasing women's participation rates you know they also started off very low a couple of generations ago and they managed to boost that up to now they're at 55% of women participation rates um and so over there we actually have a unicorn in the women's career space in terms of chief which is a women's network only for uh extremely senior women professionals uh there's also a company called mom project which is as it as the name suggests it's for mom's careers there's a company called fairy god boss which is also a network for women and was recently acquired by the muse okay uh, these are all like digital uh product all online platforms absolutely okay okay interesting okay okay i had no idea this space had uh, so many large established companies it's still uh, very 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 small number compared to the general career space you know mm. and uh, and usually the general career space was built by men for men of men mm. which means mm. there's a lot of work still to be done in the women's career space and i think uh with this funding we're going to be able to start you know building that kind of interest and attention to the space that is required to first grow the space and get more players in so uh, you said uh, 85% of women in india are out of the workforce uh, why is this number so high so that's the number in urban india by the way overall women participation rates in india are 20% but in urban india it's only 15% which means as a family becomes more affluent in india the chances of that woman working becomes lower mm-hmm. um, okay. and the re- reason is really social yeah because i mean first of all the woman is brought up in a way to think that her what an only priority is family uh you know and caretaking uh families expect that from that woman uh, and then employers have a lot of biases as well uh so at different stage once the life stage so uh, if you look at the numbers about 100 out of 100 college grads 40 of them are women today which is incredible yeah that is the work that was done by our mothers generation out of those 40 only eight even start their careers the rest of them usually they get married right after they graduate or they move to another city and they the career never takes off out of those eight four of them drop out within 3 years which is usually when motherhood strikes and then they never return um and that is why our women participation rates are so low okay um so how do you change this then uh, i mean this is more about uh... changing the mindset of the families right more than the women uh, i'm assuming that there would be a desire in, inside the woman to work but uh, the uh, the environment around her doesn't support yeah so no this so it's uh, me, i mean frankly for the last 8 years you know i always say that i i feel like our biggest job has been in changing mindsets um yeah and the we do need to change the mindsets of the entire ecosystem um but i do think that it needs to start with changing the mindset of that woman uh i mean you know we don't need to wait for any knights in shining armors to come and uh save us right and rescue us i feel like if you give women the right narrative the right tools the right resources then they'll be able to stand up you know and state that hey i do want to work and this is why i want to work also once we start showcasing these women's stories you know instead of portraying women as either goddesses or ablanari and we start showcasing women as 
you know, a woman who is juggling between her career and her uh, family and, you know, and still managing just fine. Once we start showcasing these set of narratives, families will realize that not only should they support uh, their women's careers, but also be proud of it. Um, so it's a lot about changing narratives, which is something that a strong community like this can do. Mm, okay. Okay. Got it. Interesting. Um, I was reading somewhere uh, that, you know, the maternity, paid maternity leave used to be three months and then it was increased to six months. And that actually caused a dip in uh, participation because uh, corporates are reluctant to hire women uh, because they know that in case of pregnancy, there there is a six month payout, uh, which they will be on the hook for. What do you think about that? Yeah, absolutely, Akshay. I mean, um, I know of enough companies where, you know, uh, they have actually reduced a hiring of women who are at a marriageable slash childbearing age. <laughs> because when they're interviewing those candidates, all they can think about is six, six months. months. Six months. <laughs> okay. And this is it's a big detriment to hiring women. So we've actually made it worse. And also think about the message that we're sending out. Uh, to parents, right? We're saying that, oh yeah, absolutely, a child has been born. That woman should take six months off from her career, but the father, the father doesn't need to take any paternity leave. Yeah. No mandated paternity leave. And that's so sad for everybody involved. It's sad for that woman, of course, because uh, those companies don't want to hire her. It's sad for the man too, because those companies don't feel that the man has had a baby, you know, and they should give some paternity leave to them too. So if we did want to go in the direction of giving more support to parents, first of all, we have to you know, change, again, the narrative and the way we're thinking about it, right? We need to provide more support to working parents. If you want to provide more support to working parents, then have a six-month parenting leave policy instead. Let, let the couple decide that maybe, you know, that woman takes three months off and then the father takes three months off. Mm, right, right. Interesting. That's an interesting... I think there's no country in the world which has implemented this yet, right? But this no, would... There are lots of Scandinavian countries. There are okay. lots of Scandinavian countries where women participation rates are very high, like about 80%. Wow. A lot of them look at, uh, they have, and those are very good to study in terms of what they're doing right. Yeah, to, to really support women's careers. And a lot of them look at it like this, right? It's working parents. How do you make sure that there's parental leave? How do you make sure that the government is also supporting companies to provide that kind of leave. And how do you even look at, for example, uh, companies in Scandinavia, they usually work during school hours. Okay. So mm. their timings at work coincide with the timings of school so that parents can again, you know, drop their kids to school, get to work, and then be done with the work. They pick, the, pick up the kids, spend time with them. It's, right. it, it feels like a really ideal world. But if, you, if Scandinavia could get there, one day India can too. Hmm. Right. Interesting. Okay. Uh, tell me about how, um, uh, you know, you've been through a similar journey where you left the workforce uh, before you started uh, uh, Herky. Uh, uh, tell me about your own journey. Yeah, well, uh, well. so, I mean, I graduated from Wharton. Um, and of course, when I graduated, I felt like there was no difference between a man or a woman, uh, apply for the same jobs, decided to take the entrepreneurship path instead. Started my first company while I was still uh, in my last semester at college. Wow. And what was... the, it, uh, it was called Paragon. That was my first baby. And it okay. was an educational company. 
I actually became the college board representative for India at the age of 21. Uh, came back inside this educational center to bring the advanced placement program back to India. Because uh, when we had all got abroad to study, we never got any credit for the work that we had done in Indian high school. And that's a huge waste of time, money and effort. So okay. I brought the APs back to India, set that center up. Kids were, uh, you know, high school kids in India started taking AP credits. Did that for two years. Um, and that's when... What is yeah. this uh, thing of uh, AP credits, advanced placement? This sounds very foreign to me. I've never studied abroad, so I'm not familiar with this. Well, I'm sure I'm surprised. I don't know if in Japan they have the APs, uh, but all um, that it's the American system of education. The way you mm. have IB or A levels or mm. HSC in India, in America, the honors program is called APs. Okay. Um, and if you have APs in your high school, you actually don't need to repeat those classes when you go to an American university. Otherwise, when, you know, from an Indian high school system, when you go to America, you have to repeat a lot of the stuff that you'd already done okay. in the 11th and 12th grade. And okay. that's, that's a pretty big waste of time, money and effort. And how do you uh, prove it to the college that you have already studied this uh, in India? So the college board, which gives the AP exams, that's the same board that gives the SAT exams. So these are oh. standardized global tests. Uh, okay. But India never did not offer the APs. Like no Indian schools offered the APs. You know, there was okay. nowhere to take the APs. Okay. So during my last semester at college, I actually convinced the college board that we need to offer this in India, convinced a school in India to become an AP testing center. And that's brought the advanced placement program back to India and got Indian high school students to prepare for the APs and give those tests. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, like, if you want to prove that you already studied biology, then you give the biology AP test exactly. that earn the credit for. Okay, exactly. And IB students and A level students can get that credit. Yeah, but mm. at that time we were talking about two thousand and three. Yeah, there were no IB level. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I did that for two years, and for me, that's when the first uh, life stage hit, which was marriage, and I moved from Bombay to Bangalore. And uh, Paragon was a very physical offline educational center. Um, and I couldn't keep that going, um, you know. And at, at that point, I made the very difficult decision of closing that down and joining my husband's family business because, uh, so my husband's family business was in pharmaceutical manufacturing. Hmm. A completely different area uh, that I'd been working on before. But find, frankly, as a business student, you know, same business principles apply, no matter yeah. the industry. Yeah. And it was also at a very interesting stage of growth at the company. And so I jumped on board. We were acquiring facilities in Sweden and the US. Uh, so got very involved in that. You know, as a former finance student, it was very interesting to be in m deals on the buy side. Hmm. Interesting. Um, and then did that for five years. Never thought I'd stop, frankly. Uh, even when I, you know, got pregnant, I worked in my nine months. I told everyone I'll be back in 40 days. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> famous last words like I did not even <laughs> and 40 days later I said no maybe three months huh. three months later I said maybe a year huh. um, and a year later I was a raging full-time mom and I said forget it you know I'm going to be a full-time mom just the way my mom was or my mother-in-law was or frankly all the other women I knew around me they had all you know quit working to really be there for the children and I felt I needed to do that too and uh, yeah, I quit. I, uh, that break ended up being for three and a half years, during which time I had a second baby. Mm. 
And uh, when the second child came into my life, things changed again, you know, because uh, it was the first time that I had to shift my attention from my firstborn. (laughs) And then realized that the heavens didn't fall down. It was actually good for him. Um, And also by then, a lot of frustration had seeped in. Yeah, so um, I started feeling like I started looking at all the careers of all my peers, you know, my uh, former classmates and uh, mainly the men who keep their careers zooming ahead and started wondering what the hell, Mm. you know, I didn't work so hard and study so hard to finally be in the same place that my mother was in. Right. Yeah. Um, And so one day I realized that, you know, if I want to be a happy mother, I have to be a happy person. And for that, I needed to get back to work. So it was really for the sanity for of all those around me. I decided to jump back. And for me, it was easy, right? Because I had a family business that I could jump back to. So I literally arm twisted my husband into giving me a job back and got back. Did that for one year. And that one year of getting back to work was the eye-opening year for me because it was just a great experience to restart my career. It was good for me, it was good for the kids, it was good for my husband, and it was great for the company. Um, And that made me start questioning and interrogating every woman I knew that why aren't you getting back to work? Why aren't you getting back to work? And the kind of challenges I started hearing, I was like, this is crazy. Like, we have to figure out, like, if we lose out on this talent pool, we are losing out on this, on a talent pool of qualified, experienced, capable, ambitious women. So we need to figure out how do we get them back to work? And that's really where the idea of Jobsaha came about. And uh, you were not from a tech background, but you wanted to build this as an online business. So uh, how did you actually go about building it up? Uh, you know, you had not done marketing before. This would, uh, I, I mean, to build an online business, you need tech and you need marketing to acquire customers. How did you learn these skills? How, how did you, you know, uh, tell me about building it up. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was a, a pretty critical decision, right? The decision to build it up as a tech platform. It is. It was definitely not my first choice uh, and first course of action. Uh, but when I started looking at the numbers that we needed to solve for, you know, um, I mean, by one statistic, there were 20 million women who needed to restart their careers in India. Um, I finally had to take that hard call that, look, either I can build it as an offline business, which is something that I was comfortable with and I had worked with and I knew how to do. But then I would be able to impact the lives of thousands. Um, Or I can build this, I can use, I can leverage technology and build this as an online platform. And then I can impact the lives of millions. And finally, the idea was to change that diversity needle, to push that diversity needle in India and get more women in the workplace. It had to build it for millions. Uh, So frankly, it was my younger brother who was also running a tech startup at that time. He's the one who really convinced me that I had to build it as a tech startup. And over the years, many times I definitely cursed him um, several times. (laughs) But I do see why it was extremely important that we look at leveraging technology. I think it's extremely important to realize also that, look, that same technology that feels uh, so alien to a woman who's been on a break that same technology has made it so easy to pick up the skills that you need in order to learn. So when it comes to marketing, by the way, I graduated from Wharton in finance, marketing and management of information system. Okay. Yeah, all okay. which are coming to use now. But there was no digital marketing at that time. Yeah. Um, also, you know, so I mean, so again, I use the technology to learn. 
the, the kind of online upskilling that is available uh, for anyone who wants to learn uh, is immense. Yeah, so I just upskilled, upskilled, upskilled myself in marketing. Uh, the other thing that I really needed to understand was from an HR point of view. Yeah, to really uh, uh, figure out what is it that is lacking and how do we bridge those gaps. So I also had very strong mentors and advisors in place. And I and that really helped as well in not just, you know, filling the gaps of knowledge and expertise, but also identifying the gaps in knowledge and expertise, which I could then upskill myself in. Okay, okay, okay. Um, like, how did you build three and a half million users? Well, <laughs> by working on it every single day. <laughs> um, no, I think it's really the premise. Like, so how did you build the, the, the first 10,000 users? Let's just start with that. Sure. So, yeah, the first 10,000 user story was was completely organic, first of all. Yeah, we didn't do any paid marketing in the whole first year. Um, and because we first wanted to make sure that the uh, that the our user, like our value proposition is working, right? Like, I mean, there is that actual need out there that women women want and they will come to us for. Um, so our big, big uh, thing that we pushed out was content marketing. Yeah, because uh, we had to, you know, use very strong narratives to shake up the ecosystem and get those women to get up and realize that, hey, this is for them. Also, what really helped was our laser focused, uh, our laser sharp focus in terms of, um, you know, in the beginning, the first year, the platform was only for women who are on a career break in Bangalore. Okay. And, and because we did that, the kind of content that we put in place, the kind of marketing that we put in place was so personal and customized to that woman that we saw huge organic growth in our user base. And by content, uh, are you talking of blogs on your site or also like uh, other social media platform posts? Yeah, no, blogs, of course, but more importantly, a lot of social media campaigns that we ran. Okay. So for example, one of the campaigns that we ran was on difficult conversation. And we got women to share what kind of difficult conversations they've had to have to restart their careers. Yeah, and those okay. difficult conversations could have been with their uh, husbands, with their kids, with their mother-in-laws, with, their, uh, with themselves with employers, you know, so that that also gets women to realize what kind of difficult conversations they can and should have in order to get back. Yeah. There was a huge virality that came about in these different campaigns and that helped really push the needle. Uh -huh. Okay, okay, interesting. Okay. And uh, uh, you were uh, using your personal network and all to get the jobs which were getting listed there. Like oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, absolutely. Yeah, so luckily being from the entrepreneurial space, we are also in, uh, in touch with huge number of entrepreneurs, uh, you know, mm -hmm. and huge number of business people. And that now the business side of it is, that was my forty, right? Mm -hmm. uh, the tech, not really, and you pick up those skills and you hire those skills. The business was my forty, uh, so I completely tapped every network of mine to just get companies to come and hire women returnees on the platform. We started off at with twenty companies, by the way. Today, we have like 10,000 companies, okay, on the platform. But wow. in the beginning, that was a bigger challenge, Akshay, you know, because again, this was only for women returnees. Yeah, so we actually, the whole first year, we didn't, uh, for us, our sales, and by the way, the person who, um, who heads my sales uh, department today is that person's employee number two 
at job wow. level. Okay. Uh, and the first full year, her version of sales was just calling up companies and convincing them to come and list the jobs for free on the platform, but for the fact that this is for women returnees only. And that took yeah. a lot of convincing to get yeah. companies to realize why they should hire women returnees. Yeah, and over there, the reason is also because so a lot of the platforms that had come before us, you know, they had taken a very social angle to the space. Um, but that's where the business degree helped, where, you know, I recognize the fact that look, businesses are there for the bottom line. And we need to make them see how this would help the bottom line. Yeah, so once we started projecting this uh, database as a talent pool of women who are qualified, experienced, capable, they have a desire to prove themselves again, and they can join companies with no notice period. <laughs> right. That's when we really got their interest and they started posting the jobs at the beginning for free. And then by the end of the year, they were paying us for it. Amazing. Okay. And by when did you break even? Well, I think mean, the pandemic is what really helped us to break even. Uh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, because at the pan with the pandemic, for the first time, we saw this huge wave of women hiring that happened, you know, because uh, for the first time, the biggest barrier to women's careers was was gone. And that's flexibility. Yeah, the you know, travel. Until then, yeah, you know, uh, travel and just the, the flexible mindset. You know, until then, if a woman asks for flexibility, you know, companies used to take that very negatively. Mm. Uh, and companies were not at all okay with any sort of uh, remote work or part-time work or freelance work, you know, very, very few opportunities over there. But the pandemic forced every company to figure out how to work remotely. And companies started seeing the benefits of remote work, right? Frankly, if you really look at future of work now, it's hybrid. Yeah, I don't yes. think it's full-time in the office or it's full-time from, from home. The future is actually hybrid. And that is really what women needed and wanted all these years. Uh, so just for the company to have a flexible mindset which said that okay fine you know if my child is sick today can I work from um, or you know over like say during summer holidays can I work part time from the office and part time from like different flexible work arrangements like that and once that flexibility was removed uh, from uh, being a barrier to women's success that suddenly opened up the floodgate. Uh, mm. And we turned profitable because of the huge demand that we saw. Um, also, we saw that women were now ready. Okay, because in so many families, uh, the sole breadwinner was a man. So many people lost their jobs. And suddenly families and that women started realizing that, look, there's this qualified, serious talent lying at home. Why don't we support her career as well and get her into the workplace too? So all around, it was, it was actually a watershed moment for women's careers. So uh, a lot of founders I speak to have pretty much gone back to work from office now. Uh, you know, while during pandemic, everyone used to talk about the new normal. But uh, it seems to me that uh, that uh, it was a little overhyped, the new normal. People mostly seem to be going back to office. What have you seen? Like, are you seeing that flexibility okay, is reduced? No, so people are definitely going back into the office, but they're going back into the office with a very different mindset. Okay. Yeah, again, it's a much more flexible mindset with which they're going back into the office. Yeah. So many companies, for example, are using hybrid working arrangements very effectively in a way to 
you know, attract better talent, to reduce infrastructure costs, um, and to increase uh, employee satisfaction. Um, most companies, you know, are, have figured out, for example, one day a week can we work from home or, you know, uh, on an emergency basis, you can work from home. The work from home piece of a work arrangement is here to stay. It won't be 100% work from home, but it will be a varying degree of what a company allows, but it's not going away. Okay. Have you seen the flexibility dropping? Uh, because you would probably have that data when people post jobs, they would indicate how flexible they are. Uh, have you seen that? So what we've seen dropping is uh, the jobs that were completely remote. Okay. Um, yeah, which had, of course, skyrocketed during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, and we've also, what we've seen uh, dropping is the fact that earlier companies were open to hiring talent from anywhere, any city. Now hmm. they're back to at least hiring talent from their own cities. Okay, okay, uh, okay. But that being said, the kind of opportunities that did create, which are remote opportunities, that's still much larger. You know, even though overall that number, that growth has reduced, hmm. the, uh, in an absolute sense, the kind of opportunities that are available for remote working is much larger than it was pre-pandemic. Yeah, because that mindset change has happened uh, at a fundamental exactly. level. And many, many businesses are looking at it as a great cost-saving method. Yeah, 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 yeah. Got it. Okay, interesting. So what's the, uh, uh, you know, you've raised this 4 million. Uh, what do you want to use it for? Is it for product? Is it for marketing? Uh, what is it for? Yeah, the money that we've raised is really to build uh, the platform that will take us from the 3.5 million to 30 million, right? Hmm. And so the chunk of that investment will go into building the tech and product. Uh, in fact, the first thing that we did was uh, get our uh, CTO on board okay. along with the investment. Uh, and he comes with, you know, 20 plus years of experience in building global global products, global technology teams. And we're very excited about what we can build with him. Um, and of course, the second thing that we will use the funding for is to build the database itself. Mm -hmm. uh, plus, we will also use the funding for starting to develop a lot of the other strategic initiatives, you know, like the different learning programs that are required for women. You will uh, create the content in-house or is it going to be like user-generated, crowdsourced uh, learning content? So we, uh, we've uh, always built the platform as a marketplace model. Yeah, we don't believe in the fact that we need to do everything ourselves. Uh, mm. We always feel that, you know, uh, let's leverage what is out there, uh, contextualize it, curate it for women. And then scale that. Yeah. So that because if we build it ourselves, we have been limited in terms of our own imagination and our own expertise. We want to open up huge learning opportunities for women. So we today also on the platform, we have about 800 plus learning partners. So okay. we are working with a lot of them to curate these programs and offer them to women. Uh, how do you monetize this? Like you take a percentage of sales or you charge them a fees for advertising on the platform? Or what? So both okay. models work. Yeah, where, you know, we work on, again, promoting these learning partners uh, during which time they have, we have subscription models hmm. uh, for uh, putting them out there. Plus, we also, whenever we're curating these programs with them, we'll take a percentage of sales and the sales could be either to that woman, but... Also, we work a lot of with different corporates for their learning needs, for their women talent. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, what, uh, how does your sales happen? Uh, is it uh, uh, like, uh, you know, the, I'm taking an example of, let's say, SaaS companies. In SaaS companies, there are two ways in which they sell. One is 
a more self-serve model where people come in for a free trial and then they swipe a card and they start paying, which typically works when you're more uh, like say, SME focused. And then you have companies which sell largely through an account executive who will give a demo and onboard you and you will have a client success team and all that. How does the sales work for you? So we have both. Uh, we have uh, our online offerings by which any company can come, you know, buy something that we call hot jobs, uh, get their jobs boosted and priority listed and so that they can get more uh, applicants for those jobs. We also have much larger subscription models, uh, which for which we have a field sales team. We call them our bear plans. You know, it's branding, engagement and recruitment. And that's okay. when we're um, and our field sales team actually works in selling that to our large enterprises where they can opt for different subscription models uh, in terms of how much they want to be branded, how much they want to engage with the talent pool and how many, what kind of recruitment requirements that they have. So I'm assuming this, uh, the, the sales happening through the sales team would be like a major chunk of your sales, right? The, the self-service sales would be a pretty small chunk, I'm guessing. Currently, currently, but the self-service sales is growing pretty significantly. Okay, okay. And self-service is largely like an SME product who just wants to uh, quickly hire somebody. Yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Interesting. So you so, try to actually sometimes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I will, <laughs> I will, yeah. Um, you know, what do you see as uh, your role uh, in her key? You know, there are some founders who say that I'm the product guy, I'm the custodian of the product. Then there are some people who are like... Uh, sales first who are uh, out there leading the sales team from the front talking to the customers uh, you know so so different founders have different type of focus areas uh, what is uh, what kind of a founder are you you know what's your focus area what is your role in herky huh. um well okay so i guess as a founder and ceo you're used to wearing so many different hats in fact actually at some point or the other you have won every hat in the organization. Um, then it's difficult to choose which baby belongs to you yeah. in the organization. Uh, but I do feel that overall, I think uh, being the culture custodian is the most important. Yeah, because okay. finally, uh, with what, uh, you know, whatever, what, nothing scales as much as culture, right? Uh, we need to make sure that as we scale, as we grow, as we have more offerings, more product lines, bigger team, etc., the culture of the organization is key of why do we do what we do. So I think um, if my role, my biggest role in the organization is constantly keeping a focus on the why uh, in every little thing that we do. You know, in fact, we are constantly uh, encouraging every team member, no matter what level and what designation, every team member to constantly question why. Why are we doing what we are doing for every everything that we put out there? Uh, because uh, otherwise, at the end of the day, it just becomes actions. Um, yeah, so um, when it comes to culture, goal setting, visioning, strategy, uh, those uh, sit, I need those sit only with me. Um, mm. My other, I have a very, very strong uh, core team. And, you know, they are masters in product and in tech and in marketing and in sales and in customer service and in operations and in HR and in finance. But I think the overall why uh, sits with me. So you want to make sure that uh, you remain a mission-driven organization? 
who has been through the journey of being the most ferocious female VC in India. Right. Um, and even in uh, 361, uh, finally, we have a woman board member from 361. So mm. in fact, on our new board, uh, we have uh, uh, the man who is the diversity on our board. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Okay. Uh, what's your headcount now? We uh, are about 100 plus. Wow. So what are some of the things you're doing to maintain the culture, uh, you know, as the company grows beyond, let's say, 50 people that, you know, it's no longer possible for you to personally uh, make sure that everyone is aligned with the mission and stuff like that. So, so you know, how do you no, scale? So part of, no, so when it comes to the hiring process, by the way, one of the assessment criteria for every hiring process is alignment to our values and our culture. Yeah. Uh, part of every hiring process, part of every evaluation, every review, every appraisal, mm. okay, it is always about also how aligned is that person to the overall vision and values of the company. Part of every, uh, my induction training uh, for every new joining, really, I just focus on the why, that entire induction. Every mm. town hall that we have, you know, and where we talk about our quarterly reviews, where we talk about our annual plan, where we talk about important announcements. We constantly bring it to the why and we constantly talk about the culture behind the company. So it is a lot of constant and consistent messaging that we employ. Uh, what are some of the tools you use to, uh, you know, manage people? Uh, like some people use like OKRs as a tool. Yeah, we use OKRs as well. Okay. And uh, they've been very effective because with OKRs, again, uh, and we keep telling people, right, that this is about finally achieving the objectives. It's mm. not about driving actions. Mm. Yeah, the actions have to give you the objectives. Mm -hmm. uh, so the OKRs are superb in that because uh, you're forced to think from an objective manner. So mm. every every team has their different OKRs and then we have overall company OKRs as well. Okay. Oh, what is uh, What do you do for inspiration? Do you read books? Do you listen to podcasts? Or, you know, or do you talk to people? Or where do you get your own inspiration from? Well, um, frankly, when you run a platform like Herky, it's, it's incredible the kind of inspiration that you get on a daily basis, right? I mean, um, the kind of stories every uh, week, you know, we run stories of women who are getting back to work. And uh, that is extremely inspirational to hear the stories. And that brings us to the end of this conversation. I want to ask you for a favor now. Did you like listening to the show? I'd love to hear your feedback about it. Do you have your own startup ideas? I'd love to hear them. Do you have questions for any of the guests that you heard about in the show? I'd love to get your questions and pass them on to the guests. Write to me at ad at thepodium.in. That's ad at t-h-e-p-o-d-i-u-m dot in. 